A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> it's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Oh, my David here with Ken Early. Hi, Owen, how are you? Not too bad, how are you? Good. And Kieran Murphy, hi, how are you? Hello, Owen, hello, Ken. Okay. It's almost impossible to spend more than a couple of hours on Twitter without being informed of some sort of sporting anniversary. You know the tweets. Ten years today since such and such a massive sporting occasion happened. Certainly when you follow the people I follow. Anyway, mm, and I was going to say. I'm especially looking oh, at yeah. okay. former professional boxers here in this, Murph. They, they do like to reminisce about their glory days on a regular mm. basis. I'm looking at you, real deal, Evander Holyfield. But there are so many of these now. I, I, I thought my well of nostalgia had totally dried up. But then I got on there this morning. I saw it's 20 years today since this happened. Frail side to his temperament. The mad side of genius. Cantona is dismissed. Where can there be a place in the game for a man of such extravagant talent? A man of such wicked temperament. A man who has been quite rightly dismissed. A man who has now jumped. Oh my goodness me. He has kicked. He's punched the fan. Eric Cantona has jumped in and Oh, that's the first time I've oh, ever man. heard that particular commentary. We, we recognise the voice there, right? Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan Pierce, Pierce now, BBC, yeah. in his capital gold days. Never one to light his... <laughs> light his to hide his mm. light under, under a bushel. bushel. To yeah, light his fire under a bushel. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. Don't do that. Bushels are quite flammable. That incident oh. in his capital gold days gave Jonathan Pierce everything he wanted. It, yeah. it gave him a pulpit <laughs> and he took advantage. I, Boy, just, did he preach. I completely misunderstood what was going on there because I thought what we were listening yeah. to was yeah. his reaction to the That day. was just yeah. the sending off. That was just the yeah. kick on Richard Shaw. Yeah, yeah. That is brilliant. And also the use of the kung fu kick straight away. I mean, that's I've never seen it described as anything other yeah. No, not just a straightforward kick. 
And the punch is rarely mentioned, by the way. The far more damaging punch to the jaw. Yeah, yeah. He basically kicked the hoarding in an attempt to get to him. And then the punch was the actual thing that hurt. A scissor kung fu. You see, there's something about that event, Murph, that keeps pulling me back 20 years later. Is it the raw animal violence perpetrated by a professional footballer on a spectator? Mm. Is it the memory of Des Lynam's somber tone as he broke the news on sports night? Yeah, that's what I think of. Because you remember he, he... broke the news right at the top of the show. Yeah, he didn't wait yeah. for it to happen and then react to it. He, yeah. We thought, Des Lynam, safe hands. You, you, you know you're safe with Des Lynam about. Yeah. And he, he tried to make us feel safe, but he had to be aware. I saw Walt, Walt Disney once said, Ken, that you have, to, you, know, you have to tell kids that there is evil out there. They have to be aware of this in order yeah. to develop as people. But you need to let them know that they're safe. That's what Des Lynam tried to do that night, but mm. yeah. uh, he, he didn't listen, make me feel safe. Say listen, Eric Cantona had kung fu kicking everybody. English football fans. We're all hurting tonight. But don't worry. Des Lynam's got you. He's, he's going to take care of you. That's what, he, that's what stand, coming out from behind his desk and standing in front of the cameras like he did right at the very start of Sports Night that night. That's what he did. Undeniably, another. And you made this point to me, Murph, just as you watched this clip before, before coming mm. on this podcast here. When you look back at that footage 20 years on, you can't help but be struck by how thoroughly dislikable that Manchester United team is. We knew it at the time. <laughs> Even Manchester United fans yep. must have known it at the time. <laughs> yeah. But look at these there, characters. Uh, there really are among the most hateful players to have played. Schmeichel. Sh- well, Schmeichel, Steve Bruce this, and Gary Pallister, the sole likeable characters on that entire team, basically. You had Paul Ince, Roy Keane, Eric Cantona, Mark Hughes... Lee Sharp, I'm sure, got on people's good. Yeah, the yeah come on, they were a bunch of assholes. Yeah, they were. They were. Uh, they were on. They were now. Yeah, you've called there it. There is a good photo, Ken, of Roy Keane and Gary Pallister, and their contrasting reactions to the incident, just as Cantona <laughs> kung fu kicks. Yeah, uh, Gary, Gary Pallister, just oh no, he's sort of cradling his his face in his head. He knows that this is really bad. He's just oh no, he's not going to bother hiding. Whereas Keane is just running, <laughs> running to get there. He just wants to be there. And to get involved. Uh, very different. Um, I was just looking on for... Because I remember this came up on my leaving cert. This Cantona thing somehow was on my leaving cert English paper. and I'm It was to, on my junior cert English paper again. Your junior cert? Did I do the, was the junior the cert year? year you did the leaving cert? Oh, that makes me feel great. No, 96. I mean, 96. No, 95. So this was January 1995 it happened. Yeah, it was definitely on the junior cert that year. It was you were compare, You had to compare the Sun's coverage of it to the Times's coverage oh, of it, or something right. along those lines. Yeah. One being a tabloid newspaper, Murph, and one being yeah, we a, get it a broadsheet. Yeah, I can't find it though. This this website which says it has it, ha- it says it has the um, the archive, but uh, this wasn't wrong. just a very vivid dream you had, Ken. Was it? No, I'm sure it was there, but but uh, it says it's got paper one and paper two from English, but it's actually when you click the link for paper one, it just gives you paper two. Both the links give you paper two, so paper one. I think that must have been where Canton was. Either that or maybe, you know... Maybe it's my story about the junior cert and you've actually taken... No, I remember I remember turning it over and seeing it and thinking, oh, right, there, Canton, yeah. That was great. I was delighted with it. But there, there was... We'll tweet that photo of Keane and Pat. You actually just quoted verbatim uh, Jonathan Pierce's commentary. For I cannot <laughs> adjust for his supreme talent. <laughs> well, the kids of the UK were obviously the big victims in all this. Role models, blah, blah, blah. So let's hear what they had to say. BBC News. Shock spread across the faces of those closest to the incident, especially the young, is a substantial part of the club's enormous difficulty. And at a local school, children were already drawing their own conclusions. 
I don't think he should have done it because he's upset everyone. He's upset all his fans, his manager, his team, everyone. He gets lots of uh, abuse because, I mean, they call him Frenchman and all that. And he's ignored it. He's ignored it before, so why should he, why should he have just ignored it yesterday? They call him Frenchman. Frenchman that. was an insult in England until about 2003. <laughs> it, it took Thierry Henry and, and Robert Pires. Maybe Wenger. Uh, yeah, to, to, you know, it, it was a... You didn't have to actually say anything else. <laughs> Frenchman in you itself was, an, adjective, a, was yeah. an epithet. Well, yeah. according to the supporter in question, Matthew Simmons, he didn't even go as far as calling him Frenchman, did he? No. He was well, very he, polite in what he said. What Matthew Simmons um, told the son, to be specific, um, that he said was, uh, off you go, Mr. Cantona. It's an early bath for you. <laughs> that was what he I love that quote. ran 11 rows uh, to to shout uh, at Eric Cantona as he passed him by. BBC a strange a sentence structure as well. Off you, you go, try... Mr. Cantona. Yeah. <laughs> it's an early bath for you. <laughs> BBC have done a huge piece on this online and also uh, on air, as far as I know. Uh, they, they talked to a bunch of different people involved, one of whom, who was quite close to the action, said that he called that Simmons informed Cantona that his mother was a French whore. Now, I don't know whether to believe Simmons himself or this witness. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I mean, thinking maybe... The, the, not as disgraceful on Murphy's What the, extra grind does this witness have, Odd? Not as disgraceful as the racism that John Giles used to suffer. Do you remember he told oh, us about this? Oh, God, yeah, ago? yeah, a number of well, years ago. What, what, what was it called? He was called an Irish pig on... Uh, by fans, was it Everton? No, I'm, I'm just Everton. Uh, yeah, it was uh, at Everton. He used to get loads of abuse. Of all clubs, of all cities. I know, I know, but he used to be called an Irish pig, which isn't nice. You know, that's that's not nice. He also told us once that he was called. It was either by supporters. It was by supporters that he was a uh, a reject, a reject, and I thought he'd said an Egypt. Yeah, uh, and he he would have he felt I remember in the course of this conversation that Egypt was a far bigger slur than reject. Yeah, uh, so he said I, I was being called a reject, and you said an Egypt, and then you asked him, well, what would you have preferred to have been called an Egypt or a reject? <laughs> I think that was said, how the he com- said an Egypt would have been better because uh, oh, an Egypt would have been better. Yeah, yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, I think he I think reject stung a bit more than Egypt. Jonathan Wilson is in Equatorial Guinea for the Africa Cup of Nations, so we'll check in with him in today's podcast. And we're going to chat to Dermot Corrigan about Barcelona's win against Atletico last night, which looked like a miserable enough occasion actually at the camp. Not a massive crowd and not yeah, a great game. It wasn't great. I was trying to watch it, but um, <laughs> yeah. my attention. But the last drifting. game that they played a couple of weeks back was uh, unbelievable. Brilliant, yeah. Uh, that was the one where well, that's what I was quite three, excited. All three key attacking like, Oh, they're playing were... again. Great. <laughs> Why are Atletico Madrid playing Barcelona almost immediately after playing Real Madrid in the same competition? Uh, okay, well, I'll watch this. But it was pretty obvious after a few minutes that this wasn't going to be anything anything like that league game. But we'll make was... an interesting piece of conversation out of it, Ken. Don't you worry about that. Oh, it's yeah. time now for Ken Early's Report on Sport. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we were talking about Manchester United there on uh, Eric Cantona, the Frenchman who led the charge uh, back what in the f- day. What a Frenchman. <laughs> uh, and he, um, I suppose, uh, set in train the, the chain of events which have seen Manchester United become the, uh, I guess, the richest club in the Premier League. Uh, and it turns out the De- Deloitte F- uh, Football Money League is out again today, and Man United have actually vaulted up this uh, into second place behind Real Madrid. So they've surpassed Bayern Munich, you know, comfortably, and Barcelona, um, which is uh, pretty amazing considering considering that this is off the back of the worst season that since Eric Cantona joined the club, at least certainly since before Eric Cantona joined the club. Um, uh, so 
It turns out that now uh, financial uh, success in football is, has almost com become completely divorced from performance. Um, Manchester United are 518 million euros. Um, I suppose you could say, you know, Liverpool had a good season <clears throat> and that's why they're back into the top 10, over 305 million euros. But just looking at the top 30, which is what they released, 14 of the top 30 clubs are English clubs. It's like... It's, well, it's just on United, ridiculous. Though, would it not be the case that maybe this season, this year, is the one where they're going to be hit harder because they were still playing Champions League football? It was during last season that they failed to qualify for this season's Champions League, so there might be more of an effect it, in the 2015 the, accounts. That might be that might well be the case. On although the the thing that's made the big difference here is the new Premier League TV deal, which is which. I mean, if you this if you look at this, you now see that. Um, Southampton and Roma are equal, equally sized clubs in, certain, in terms of turnover. Aston wow. Villa are way bigger than Benfica or, uh, you know, Hamburg. Uh, West Ham uh, are bigger than Marseille by a long way. You know what I mean? Uh, this is, you know, it's just... There's something a bit deflating about that, isn't there? Tottenham are towering over Inter and Napoli. You could almost join Inter and Napoli together and Tottenham would be able to take them on. So... This is the kind of uh, money that's sloshing around in English football. I mean, it's kind of, um, uh, you know, at a time when everybody's saying, well, the league actually isn't that good. And it just seems wrong, I don't know, in some way. I don't mean wrong. I'm not trying to say, oh, all the money in football is awful. Get everyone, get all the rich guys, get all those rich Americans, etc., out of there. But it just seems a little, I don't know, it just seems a little off well, that it, West Ham can yeah. be... Uh, maybe Marseille aren't the best club to compare anyone to, given that... Some of their wealth back in the nineties might have been mm. uh, built a little well, bit on. on yeah, well, the, the what you would, what we equate wealth with would be right. Well, if they're that rich, then surely all of the best players are playing in England. When we know that patently isn't the case, and maybe that's what sticks in the crawl more so than anything else. That you look at the teams and they're just not half as. You know, if, if they're not maybe not five or six years ago. The Premier League looked great. Yeah, looked like a, yeah. There, there were better players in the Premier League in two thousand and seven and two thousand and eight than there are now. I think, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, you know, there are more of the top twenty players in the world playing in the Premier League. Well, I think I think Manchester around. United certainly had a much better team. But maybe the lower teams, maybe the your West Ham's have mm. a higher uh, level than your West Ham's of two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I don't know. One of the members of that team, uh, Darren Fletcher, um, apparently joining West Ham uh, oh. on loan. Uh, so it seems like Louis Van Gaal just didn't really think that Darren Fletcher is going to be able to cut it anymore. Uh, but Sam Allardyce thinks otherwise. Uh, another one of those decisions you suspect. I don't know if Sam Allardyce and Alex Ferguson are seeing that much of each other these days. But if they ever do happen to run into each other at a race meeting, I'm sure they'll both be shaking their heads over Louis Van Gaal's treatment of Darren Fletcher. You know what I mean? Uh, well, Sam Allardyce sees the worth of the man, even if Louis Van Gaal doesn't. Um, one of the reasons um, why United are so rich, obviously, has to do with their... Shirt sales. Now, there are some interesting figures released by Sports Direct, uh, Mike Ashley's uh, sports clothing merchandise empire, uh, talking about the shirts that they sell and where they sell them and um, essentially <laughs> resulting in some interesting figures. In Manchester itself, it turns out nearly 95% of the shirts they sell of the two between the two clubs in the city are Manchester United. Uh, so it seems. But this is dwarfed by the total sales of Manchester United shirts, which take place in Dublin. Uh, Go on. Dublin uh, is a place where, essentially, there are more Man United shirts sold 
by Sports Direct anyway, in Dublin than in Manchester. The same thing goes for Dublin and Liverpool for Liverpool shirts. Really? Yes, uh, we are buying more uh, of these shirts here. Aston Villa, you want to know what city in the world is the top place for uh, sales of Aston Villa shirts? I'm going to say Birmingham. Uh, for that is where the club is based. The answer there would be Dublin. What? Oh my what, god! Have you got numbers here? Um, specific numbers. Uh, Dublin, uh, Aston Villa shirt sales 2014, and then this is just percentages: 24 uh, percent Dublin, 18 percent London, 15 percent Birmingham, 8 percent Coventry, 7 percent Preston. Hold on, a quarter of Aston Villa's jerseys in Sports Direct are sold in Dublin. It, yeah, but when I look at this, though, I, I'm a little bit suspicious. Of, that's does not that can't be right. Yeah, that's you know, that's what they that's what they're saying. You know, we all know a few it. Aston Villa supporters, but not that many. <laughs> <laughs> look, uh, apparently there's not that many in uh, in um, in Birmingham. And yeah. the Manchester United uh, stat is interesting because just to go back on that one, you said you know there's this idea out there that oh, even when Manchester United were winning everything and Man City were nowhere, well, everybody in Manchester supports Man City. That doesn't appear to be true, given there are a lot of Manchester United shirts sold in Manchester, and yet there are more sold in Dublin. Yeah, I mean, Manchester City actually sell, seem to sell a lot of shirts in Glasgow. Uh, Dublin is, is well down the list for them. Uh, they, you know, places like Stockport, uh, Leeds. Uh, but just one other thing, Chelsea, apparently the second most popular destination, or second, I mean, London obviously being the, the top category there. Lagos. And Nigeria is then in second place for Chelsea. So. Villa fans, give, get in touch. Twitter, uh, tweet us. How many say, jerseys a year are you how buying? Many jerseys a year, <laughs> how many of there are you? Uh, how many supporters goes? Go on, Dublin, Irish, sure there's, a support, there's a support group somewhere uh, that are like uh, buying these in bulk. Must be. Just one more quick thing on on Man uh, United. Uh, Gary Neville did an interview with Streddy News there a couple of days back and talked a bit about Michael Carrick. Um, now, I remember Gary Neville is a guy who's had... Mm, it doesn't seem to have been blown away by Daily Blind so far. Mm. Um, and Daily Blind actually was... these. He was injured for a little while. I mean, Neville kind of suggested that he was he was playing too many square balls, too many um, safe passes, not taking enough risks. Um, and this was just put to Blind the other day, and he said, look, you know, I respect him, but I'm just going to keep playing my game kind of thing. But... Uh, he said, you know, what Blinn said was, uh, of course I listened to him, but I tried to also do what the trainer wants from me. That's to keep possession. There's always somebody who wants to say something about the trainer or team, or there would be no interest on TV. I can take a bit of criticism. Uh, he says, um, you can play the ball forward, of course, but sometimes it's good to keep the ball in possession and make your teammates play better. I can make other players more important than myself. If I can do that by switching play to the other side or wait for the right moment to do that, then I will. Sometimes it's better to keep possession, switch from side to side and move the ball and search for players who can make an individual action. I'm not a player who does that. I like the possession game. Um, Gary Neville, you know, he, when he criticised Blind, it was a while ago. You know, it's just that this is the first time Blind has spoken to the media. It's why it seems like it's, you know, it's recently had a go to him, which he hasn't. But he has talked about Michael Carrick, um, who, of course, plays in the same position. I love Carrick, uh, says Gary Neville. You never hear anyone who's played with Carrick have a bad word to say about him. Ultimate professional understanding. Loves the club, by the way. Don't get, don't buy into that. Michael Carrick doesn't show passion and all that crap. <laughs> Do people say that? I don't know. <laughs> he loves Manchester United. You see him on a team night out when we've won the league, and he's the loudest of the lot. 
So the idea of Michael Carrick just comes in as a bit of a mouse that does his job unnoticeably. Oh, there was rubbish. that interview after a Champions League game last season. Maybe that's what it was based <laughs> yeah. on. Where he looked like he just had no interest in anything. Oh, yeah, we lost. Was it Olympiacos or... It was around that kind of time. He didn't really have a lot to say, did he? No. Didn't have a lot of enthusiasm. But Wasn't the fans Roy, the didn't Roy Keane, Roy Keane yeah, slagged him off for it. it. The interview wasn't good enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he did say that. Uh, but, oh, but he says, uh, Manchester United fans get it. I wanted Brian Robson and someone to run through brick walls and coming out with bandages wrapped around his head. That's what Manchester United fans want, says Gary Neville. But when you play with Michael Carrick, you think there's authority, control, peace. When you're on a football pitch playing against Liverpool or Manchester, you need peace. You don't want people running around like blue arse flies. Skulls and Carrick together was peaceful. It was like going into a bar and hearing a piano playing. It's relaxing. Listening to some good rock is good, and you like that too, but sometimes it's nice to listen to a piano. Carrick's a piano. There you go. There's your line. <laughs> I think... You can effing print that. <laughs> Carrick. Uh, uh, Neville Carrick slams Carrick as piano. Uh, Neville drops Mike. <laughs> it's Neville getting a little bit too polished, almost uh, as, a, uh, as a performer. You did want to mention one more Manchester United story. No, linked to all the money. Paul Pogba. Oh, yeah. Might be the guy who ends up... Well, the beneficiary is some of that. Well, rumor, rumors now that you know Pogba might be going back for sixty-one million. Forget, forget Blind, forget uh, Carrick too. Uh, Pogba's going to be back. I mean, this is a guy who was like, oh, for what, like a million pounds or something. Ferguson didn't like the didn't like the way his agent was was demanding, um, you know, too much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, his agent, the same agent, Luca Ermino uh, uh, Raiola, the same agent as Latan, and you know, a lot of other high earning players. But, you know, sometimes sometimes a guy just happens to be worth the money, and it seems that he was in that case. Um, Chelsea, meanwhile, are throwing money around, or looking to throw some money around, again, even though they seem to be in, in pretty good shape. And bizarrely, the position that they seem to be trying to uh, sign a new player in is, right, is the right side of their attack. Um, uh, Douglas Costa is the second player they're looking at after Juan Cuadrado, uh, the Colombia player who played brilliantly in the World Cup, four assists in the World Cup. Um, now at Fiorentina, well, he's been in Fiorentina for a while, but Chelsea trying to sign him and Fiorentina saying, well, he'll cost about £25 million. And Chelsea's like, well, that's a bit much. You know, Fiorentina are looking and saying, well, you are Chelsea, so this is what you pay. I mean, they've got Shirley, who's a World Cup winner, who they want to get rid of. They've got Mohamed Salah, who they bought this time last year, who, who they want to get rid of. And they've got William, who they gazumped Tottenham for, who has been playing there all season, who apparently they want to get rid of. Do they definitely, though? I sometimes think with a club of the with the financial muscle, Chelsea might just be playing a, an obstructionist game here. Well, I think that's clearly what happened with, with Salah. Salah was... Uh, Liverpool were trying to sign him in the usual uh, uh, drawn-out negotiation as Ian Eyre tried to get the best deal and then Chelsea just said, actually, do you want to join us? We'll pay you more. So but I'm I talking said, about okay. even a step above that, as in not signing the player. Just being, just going in to drive, to at least make sure whoever else wants to sign him, any of your English rivals, will end up having to pay a ridiculous amount. Or even scupper that deal. If you can keep these, keep a club on tender hooks over, right until the end of the transfer window. Well, I think that, another club I, I mean, I think I mean, that yeah, kind of thing would yeah. get you bad name. You know, if you were, if you go around doing that kind of thing, teasing clubs and then scuppering their deals so that no deal actually got done people start getting annoyed about that pretty quickly. What Chelsea have been doing is literally doing the deal, <laughs> buying the player, throwing him in the reserves, 
and then selling him a year later when everyone's forgotten about it. <laughs> that's 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 what they're going to do with Salah. With Mohamed Salah, actually, where he can't, he was on the bench, and I was like, that guy. Yeah, I actually totally forgot, forgot that he had joined that he had joined Chelsea, and yeah. that Liverpool were moving heaven and earth to try and sign him this time last year. Well, I mean, you know, maybe Liverpool dodged a bullet. I mean, he hasn't really done anything. Although, obviously, the thing is that he could have done a bit, maybe if he'd played some games, he might have been able to show a bit more than he's been able to show sitting on Chelsea's bench. But, you know, William as well. William was a player Tottenham were trying to sign. They just grabbed him, you know, the last day of the transfer window. Oh, we'll have him. So, uh, he hasn't actually done a lot, William. He's, he's like... He runs around a great deal. Hits the crossbar. He never scores. He very, very ready. Sets up a goal. He does put in, he covers a lot of distance. Is that all you can really have a right to expect? I mean, maybe he can get, Cheryl is the one that surprises me. I mean, he, maybe Mourinho thinks he's just too much of a goal scorer. He doesn't do enough of the kind of creative work. He doesn't do enough yeah, defensive work. No. Um, we haven't been on since Chelsea's game against Liverpool on Tuesday night. Which was a fantastic game. Um, Chelsea get a one-all draw in the end, but you know it was Liverpool played very well. Uh, an amazing goal by Raheem Sterling, and what I thought a mystifying decision to take off Steven Gerrard just as he played his way into the match. I thought, I mean, the second half of the game, had, the the first half was the kind of game Chelsea were happy with. I think quite controlled, sort of um, there wasn't too much chaos in, in the game, and then it had be. It, it became a completely disorganised end-to-end game in the second half, which is exactly what Liverpool needed it to be to get back into it. Uh, Sterling scored, you know, they'd hit the post, they'd kind of gone close a couple of times. It looked as though uh, things were, you know, it was progressing along the right sort of lines for them. And then he, he took off Gerrard and I thought it just went back to being a very tidy game, which Chelsea were again happy with. You know, Lallana just came on and laid it off a couple of times. I wouldn't have done that. I mean, it's, it struck me as a strange, strange call. I don't know. No one else is interested in this, and you're just sitting there going, "Yeah, when are you going to talk about something else?" <laughs> no, no, no. I've, uh, it's, no I brought I up watched the, the game and really yeah. enjoyed the game, yeah. but yeah. Uh, no, we're interested in your thoughts, Ken. Yeah. We don't have to necessarily engage verbally with every sentence that you <laughs> that you utter. No. I mean, we're engaging cerebrally with everything you're saying, Ken. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> well, I, 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 if you see yourself, I would have left jo- him on. Yeah. Okay. I would have left him on. Um, where else? Where else are we? I think that's pretty much it. Did you want to talk about Frank Lampard? Oh yeah. Well, of course. Just briefly. He wasn't involved in the Chelsea match. Um, he is, however, promoting Andrew Mars' "The Making of Modern Britain" as his favourite book. In he's the Manchester City reading star. Oh yeah. He's always a reading star of whatever club he's at. Uh, now he's he's trying to get kids to read "The Making of Modern Britain" by Andrew Marr. Have you seen the TV series accompanying that book? Actually, the book accompanies the TV series rather than the other way around. No, is it? It's really good. Yeah? Yeah. I've really, really, really I've good. I haven't actually seen any of it. Stop moving people away from books, Murph. You're defeating the purpose of Frank Lampard's mission in life. Sorry. He's sorry, trying. read the book also. It does seem Kids. a bit, if you are trying to get people to read a book, why do you pick a book that's based on a TV show? Is it, is it supposed to be more digestible that way to the Possibly, yeah. to the kids? And uh, Awful Auntie by mm. David Williams. He doesn't actually nominate his own children's book which I think is Frankie's Magic Football or Magic Frankie Football or Mm. some combination of those three words well in six short hours you can watch all six episodes of Andrew Maris The Making of Modern Britain and then if someone quizzes you about the book (laughs) you'll still be able to answer that question without having opened it that's the end of Ken Early's Report on Sport
Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about on yeah. John Hayes. Now I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where I goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. How much do wanna give a fuck? Fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. The African Cup of Nations is almost a week old now. Jonathan Wilson is in Equatorial Guinea and joins us now. Jonathan, hope you're enjoying it so far. Yes, yes, great. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, having a very good time. It was supposed to be in Morocco originally. So how did the tournament end up being played there? Well, Morocco, for, for whatever reason, pulled out uh, in November. They they said fears over Ebola, which doesn't make any complete sense. I mean, I, I guess if we take that at face value... What they were concerned about was the impact on their tourist industry of hosting a, a, a pan-continental tournament that includes Guinea, where one of the three countries where the bowlers are um, really taken hold. Um, but they, they withdrew in November. Uh, CAF then went to Equatorial Guinea and said, can you put it on? And, and um, they hosted the, co-hosted the tournament three years ago with, with Gabon. And so they had two stadiums on and running. Uh, and, and happily, they had two other stadiums which are under construction, so they, they rushed those through. And there's, there's some suggestion the stadium in Montgomery had actually been mothballed. Uh, they decided not to build it, but you know, they, they, they restarted that. Um, and actually, though, those two grounds ever been in Montgomery are both, I mean, they're small, they're compact, but they're, they're you know, the right size for the towns they're in. Um, there's been some teething problems, as you'd expect. Um, Congo, for instance, uh, they, they had huge problems with their accommodation. Claude Loire, who's their coach, who's in his eighth Cup of Nations. I mean, he, you know, he knows what he's talking about. He says it's the worst accommodation he's known at a tournament. Um, Tunisia had no electricity and no, no running water for the first day, but the sports minister turned up and magically it, it started working again. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think you've got to accept that it has been put on at very short notice uh, and you, you've got to accept there'll be imperfections. But essentially, they, they seem to be making a pretty good fist of it. Why did why were they asked to host it? I mean, you said that uh, the CAF, the, the Federation in Africa, had asked Equatorial Guinea. Why ask them? I, I think for, for two reasons. I mean, firstly, that they yeah they did do a very good job three years ago, uh, and secondly, as an oil rich nation uh, with a government, uh, what's the most diplomatic way of putting this? A government that can push things through. Um, they get a very the, strong government. The, the decision making process um, is extremely stream, streamlined in Equatorial Guinea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, the sports minister has known Issa Hayati, the president of, of CAF, since 1981. So, so they, you know, they've got a relationship going back a long time. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I met the sports minister in Aberdeen just, just by chance. We happened to be in the same restaurant. And um, he, he was very engaging, and I, I chatted to him for about an hour. Uh, but trying to pin him down exactly how much it's, it's cost was, was very, very difficult. And he, he, was, he cited the figure of... Nine billion Central African francs per per new stadium, which is I think about around about ten and a half million pounds. He, he said the cost of importing the pitches from Europe for the two new stadiums were, was roughly three hundred thousand uh, pounds, which was I, I think more expensive than than they'd intended. Uh, and you know he said everything was basically double the cost it should have been because they had to do it so quickly. Um, 
But I, I, I stayed when I was in Montgomery. I, I stayed with um, uh, or a British consultancy who were helping a Portuguese company uh, build a technical college there. And they were saying that literally overnight, the stadium went from having nobody working on it to having hundreds of people working on it 24 hours a day. So there's been a huge effort. Now, I guess you then ask, well, you know, why are they doing this? Um, and I think there is a sense of Equatorial Guinea trying to position themselves more at the, at the forefront of Africa. They hosted the African Union Summit in 2011. I think putting on the, the Cobra Nations three years ago was, was, was part of this, this process of the country trying to project itself. And I think it's, yeah, they, they realize that the oil, which is sustaining at the moment, won't last forever. So there's a need to, to raise their profile. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, the human rights record here is still pretty bad. Um, but I, I think there is a, a, a willingness and a realization that there's a need to improve that. And I think this is, there's a sense of they're, they're doing something for Africa that, um, it's interesting. The sports minister was was very clear that had Equatorial Guinea not hosted it, it would have gone to Qatar, which Kaffir yeah, never yeah. acknowledged. Well, that's the, it, uh, it, sound, it. Sounds a little he, bit like um, it sounds a little bit what, what you've been saying there sounds a little bit like maybe what you see from um, states like Qatar, from you know Abu Dhabi and, and Dubai uh, in the Gulf. Is that what they're trying to do in the West African sphere? I, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, that. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, even, in, I mean, I was here three years ago, and even in those three years, there's a huge amount of development gone on since. There's, um, there's a big new motorway from, from Bata, which is the biggest city on, on, on the coast, uh, which is where the final will be. There's a big new motorway from there up to Mongomo. It's technically not open yet. Apparently, they're waiting for the Pope to visit to open it, uh, so only government officials can, can use it. But it, it turns out that journalists, if you argue hard enough, can use it. Um, uh, so, you know, they've, They've done a lot of work in terms of infrastructure. I mean, you know, things are very uh, in terms of roads, electricity, water. You know, it's a uh, it's a very mountainous country, a, a lot of thick forest. So it's you know everything is a, is a huge amount of effort, but uh, it's been a very uh, realistic process of putting infrastructure in place. And then certainly Mongomo, which is a town, I think with seven thousand people, it's you know it's growing rapidly. There's there's a, the US have paid for a library there. There's a basilica there. Um, I, mean, it's not, I guess you might argue it's not necessarily what the town needs, but there's building work going on all over the place. You mentioned the, the uh, Ebola issue there. How, how obvious a concern is it in the country? Um, we're reading that spectators are being screened, for example, on their arrival. Yeah, it's, it's a huge concern. I mean, every time you get off a flight, they take your temperature. Um, people going in the stadiums, they, they take your temperature. There's a whole load of um, antiseptic hand wash that, that's been dished out all over the place. Uh, there's posters everywhere uh, showing you know the, the the symptoms of Ebola and sort of saying if you have any of these, make sure you get checked out. So, so it clearly is a major concern. A, how, how, and then Guinea did qualify, um, and so there was a, a, a banner of Guinea's game against Ivory Coast on on Tuesday, saying God is great. Uh, Go on, Guinea, the, the the team of Ebola. So there's a sort of a, a sort of gallows humour of, of, of embracing that. Uh, sorry, John. How how do they take your temperature? How literally? How is it possible to take a, people's temperature that quickly if they're coming off a flight or, or going into a stadium? They have these weird little um, like ray gun things. I don't know how it works, but they they point this thing at your middle of your forehead and they they squeeze the trigger and they wave you by if you're. 
a normal temperature. That's good. Well, uh, Equatorial Guinea themselves have uh, have already played two matches. They've drawn both of them and are third in the group. Um, so uh, their qualification is is somewhat uh, somewhat doubtful at this stage because they're playing one of the sides who are above them, Gabon. Um, apparently, there was a bit of crowd trouble at one of their uh, matches as well. At least so the, so the BBC is reporting. What what happened there? Yeah, I mean, it was in Bata, and actually there was some trouble three years ago in Bata. The stadium, I think, essentially is, is not particularly well designed. That uh, it's, it's thirty-five thousand capacity, and it has been full both days of the games. Um, but everybody has to go through one gate, and there's a line of police so stop you at the gate and check tickets, and uh, then everything's delayed further by by the Ebola checks. And so I, I think what happened was that um, it was just a build-up of people at that line of police, and it, it got out of hand. And after the first game, that gate had actually been wrenched off its hinges. So I think there was something went on in the first game as well. Um, but as I say, three years ago, a very similar thing happened. Police ended up firing tear gas to, to disperse the crowd a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, the, the police here is a... You know, they they uh, react first and then think later that you know firing tear gas is sort of a, a first resource. So there was a bit of frustration ever being as well that uh, a lot of people miss kickoff because of the Ebola checks. Um, there was in, in ever being uh, sorry in in Mongomo, they were handing out free T-shirts and the the, the queue got a bit out of hand, and police immediately moved in with tasers to kind of calm this queue down. So you know the police are pretty unpleasant here. Um, but I, I think it's just a design of the stadium because everything goes through that gate to you know, build up the people and, and stations build up. All right, Jonathan, listen, it's uh, been great chatting to you about that. Thanks for taking the time. Cheers, thank you. I call Ricky Roy and Steve Nash. Here we go. Stop it. That's one of those things. Stop it. How many players can do this? Duffman can never die. 34 years old. It's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Second chance. No, he did. He did. Oh. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh, yeah. He's got more of a tan than me. That sounds like quite a, an unnerving process, I must say, of being screened for Ebola on the way into the games. Just this massive ray gun being aimed at your head. Yeah, I mean, in, in France, Ecuador is a, is is a good distance away from the zone of you know the the three countries where the epidemic is really bad. Um, but obviously, you know, with the, with the tournament itself involving so much travel, so many people moving around, as you can understand, people being a little bit paranoid about it. So it does sound like a fairly uh, fairly bizarre atmosphere. All right, Jonathan said there that the Equatorial Guinea police force. Um, Taser first and ask questions later, Ken. I, I often think it's a strange way of calming down a riotous mob by tasing them. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose never you're never been tased, on... but I've, I, I've seen it in Jackass the movie, Ken. Yeah. I've seen it up close on that, and uh, it looks painful. It looks very, very painful. I'm very aggravating as well. It wouldn't calm me at all no, to no. be tased. It, it wouldn't... Well, I mean, it would immobilize you, you know, in the, in the meaningful sense. I mean, it, it would effectively calm you down. <laughs> that is true, yeah. For, well, only for a short while. But I don't know how, how it would influence the other members of the crowd, you know? Maybe, you know, I don't really see it operating in the same way as, you know, uh, a slap to the face. You know, oh, God, thanks. I needed that. 
you know. I don't think I'm going to say that if someone tases me, you know. No. First I'm going to get tased, and then I'm going to be extremely angry about getting tased. <laughs> Much That's, later. Yeah, that would be my reaction. Barcelona took care of Atletico Madrid in the Copa del Rey last night, 1-0 uh, through Leo Messi. He was at the camp now. Dermot Corrigan was there for ESPN and joins us to chat about it. Dermot, we all watched the league game a couple of weeks ago, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, the trio of Barcelona attackers all scored on the night, if I remember correctly, and they certainly all played amazing. Beautiful images of the three of them celebrating together, but nothing like the same excitement last night. No, it was a completely different game. Only 10 days had passed, but yeah, different atmosphere inside the stadium, a different performance from the two teams. Barcelona started pretty well. Messi started well in the first 20 minutes or so, but bit by bit, Atletico kind of forced themselves into the game, turned it into a bit of a wrestling match. And with it being the first leg of a two-legged tie, I don't think Barcelona wanted to press too much. Atletico were happy with the draw as well, so it became kind of bitty game. Barcelona won in the end, so Atletico felt a bit disappointed with how it went. But yeah, as a, as a spectacle, it wasn't so good. I'm a little bit puzzled as to why a, a cup game between two of the best teams in the country um, fails to interest people. I mean, what what what's so... Uh, uh, I, I, how can they not get excited about a game like that? I mean, the opportunity to knock Atletico Madrid out uh, of the cup. It's not as though Barcelona have been, you know, an unstoppable juggernaut of success uh, lately. So, you know, where do they get the right to be so snobby about this competition? One of the big issues with it was that it was 10 o'clock local time kickoff and the trains weren't running after the game. The public transport finished up at 12. So people would have had a lot of issues of getting home, especially people who don't live so close to the city, taxis would have been pretty expensive or whatever. As well as that, Atletico, yeah, it was built up a good bit in the press, but the teams have met. It was eight times that they've met over the last 12 months or so, or, or the last season and a half. And maybe there was a feeling that, um, yeah, that it wasn't such a big spectacle or it wasn't something that they were interested in seeing. So, so yeah. The uh, Atletico have played Barcelona now, Real and Barcelona again in the the last couple of weeks, and you know they're they're clearly here to stay in the way that they've backed up what they did last season. I was interested in Simeone though talking about how what it takes to compete at this level. He's talking about um, the best play. Well, he actually says the best thing for players is to compete. That makes you do things well. Tiredness does exist, of course, but the players have the will to compete and work hard, and they keep the enthusiasm of these last years. And it's kind of interesting because I, I look at. Atletico and I ask how they can be so the same team every time as well. So same the last team every three time. Games, they're so same fit. Team. They're so strong. They're so aggressive all the time. It seems against the biggest teams, especially. But in most of the matches that they play, and it looks as though. So I assume Simeone was maybe a bit of a sports science geek, but it doesn't sound like it the way he's talking there. Well, they have a uh, profe Ortega is a their physical preparation specialist, a, a guy from South America who does all the training and does all the routines for them, and he works them really, really hard. And, you know, they're the hardest, the fittest team around, the hardest working team. You can see when new players come into the into the squad that they're not up to the, the standard of the rest of them. He does, Simeone, does seem to have a bit of a mind over, over body kind of attitude to it that it, once he keeps telling them they're not tired and telling them to go out there and compete, that, that they're mentally will be able to overcome whatever tiredness they have. We saw at the end of the Champions League final that they just ran out of gas towards the end of last season. You know, they, they limped over the line in the league and were brilliant against Barca to, to win it but in the Champions League they, they really ran out of gas at the end and uh, were missing players so there is a concern amongst Atletico fans that it will happen again that even the mental grind of having to come up for so many games they, week in and week out that this January is going to take it out of them by the end of the season I was a little bit surprised that Atletico Madrid went for Fernando Torres I mean obviously he's got the connection to the club but he doesn't seem like a Diego Simeone type of player 
uh, to me anyway, uh, certainly not compared to Mario Mandzukic, who was sitting on the bench last night. Now, Mandzukic may not be fully fit, but he seems to me to be much more the template of a, of a Simeone player who's going to compete for 90 minutes than Torres, who, uh, well, Profe Ortega is going to have to get to work on him uh, to restore him to anything like um, the kind of form that you know he was in a few years ago when, when he was respected around Europe. Yeah, I was amazed when, when they signed Torres. It came up in the press all the time. Every transfer window would come about uh, Atletico and the, the club would talk about how they'd like to get an emotional return and how the fans would love to see him back and stuff like that. But but I assume that Simeone you know, didn't really want him because he's not the, the most emotional of guys. Simeone's pretty um, pretty just about winning and that's it. Torres, he's settled in pretty well. Those two goals at the Bernabeu last week were were, were amazing, you know, for it to be Ronaldo's big day and for, for Torres to be the guy to, to ruin it on him. Well, was kind of strange. You can see that he, he doesn't have the same fitness as the rest of the players. He was taken off after an hour in all of his starts so far and after 45 minutes last night. I don't know if maybe adrenaline or the excitement of coming back is after getting him through the games and got him through the Bernabeu. You know, he still have those two goals and you can't take them away from him, but I, I don't know how long he's going to stay in the team for, for the bigger games. Atletico Madrid are um, announcing today uh, with some excitement that they've uh, sealed an agreement with the Chinese company Wanda Group who are going to come in and uh, spend 45 million euros on 20% of the club. Uh, They've put out a statement which, well, it's hard to know exactly what it means. I mean, you've got people at Atletico Madrid saying that this is going to transform their economic prospects, uh, although... When they, the sentence, both parties have agreed the transaction will be implemented through a rights issue in which all of the cash provided by the Wanda Group will be injected in the club, thus benefiting all existing shareholders. It sounds as though um, essentially they're just coming in and, and enriching currently existing shareholders. Uh, what do you think is, is going to happen there? Is this a huge moment in the history of Atletico Madrid? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I'd share a lot of those concerns, and so do some of the media guys who, who asked uh, Antonio Sereso, the the president, about it. He was very clear. He said, "This all this money is going to Atletico. It's not for us. It could be that their share in the club, Atletico and Hill Marine, his um, associate, that that their share is diluted a bit. But Atletico just need cash really badly. Like what Simeone has done is amazing. But the club are still." Know, about 500 million euros in debt. They still have huge tax bills. They have a, a deal with the Spanish taxpayer that they have to pay it off bit by bit. But the club just need the money. There was talk that um, in order to, to pay the wage bill this year, to, to, to sort out the, the wage bill with the La Liga authorities, that the, the two guys had to put up some of their own money and they wouldn't really enjoy doing that. So I think the money is coming in to, to pay the bills, to keep the lights on at the Calderon, which, which seems kind of weird because the team are doing so well. But, but even still, there's just a lot of a lot of deep financial issues at the club. Do those concerns that you have, Germany, extend to some of the other Spanish clubs, Villarreal, Valencia, and some of these some of these teams were practically bankrupt a couple of years ago, and there seems to be rejuvenation. But is it built on sand a little bit? Well, the, the story of Valencia is really interesting because you have Peter Lim, who, who's come in there, the, the Singapore billionaire, who was a bit of a figure of fun, a little bit. You know, he was talking about buying other clubs, whether it was Liverpool or Inter Milan or whoever, and it never seemed to go to anything. Then he hooked up with Jorge Mendes, who's pretty much the, the best dealmaker around. And they ended up taking over the club for a lot less money than they, they said at the start. Like There was talk about you know huge war chests to spend on players and coming in and wiping out the debt. Valencia have spent some money on players and they're doing pretty well. They've brought in some decent players. They're all players who are related to, to Mendes and who will be represented by him. So we're going to just have to see how, how it works out. If you're a Valencia fan at the minute, you're delighted because the team are, are doing well, they're, they're challenging for the Champions League. But on the other side, then, they're, you're getting into bed with, 
with people who you know are in football to make money for themselves as opposed to to the club. Elsewhere, there's not too much bright lights around. You know, you look at the the teams; nobody's spending much money during the January transfer window. The Real that you mentioned there are pretty well set up. They're they're really well run club, and they're probably going to make some money in this transfer window by selling Gabriel to Arsenal. They're okay, but other teams like Sevilla. Um, are, are not doing so well so nobody's really spending too much money Great stuff Dermot thanks a million Cheers on One other piece of Spanish football news Ken Real Madrid have signed up a, a teenage phenom as the Americans might say Yeah Martin Odegaard this uh, Norwegian uh, guy who has been sort of doing the rounds of all the top clubs recently I mean he played for Norway age 15 <clears throat> which is obviously quite impressive Um and, you know, meant to be an extremely good, extremely talented player, you know, the next Messi, all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, why are you, gonna, why are you going to Real Madrid? It seems exactly the wrong place for a 15 or 16, as he now is, 16-year-old player to go. I mean, he, he's... What, uh, one of the biggest clubs in the world? The biggest club in the world? Well, if he's going to be playing for them, great. But I'd be really amazed if he is going to be playing for them. I mean, who's he going to be playing ahead of? James Rodriguez... Is it going to be, you know, who's, who's he going to replace in the team? Real Madrid is a team which is, it's the richest club in the world, as we were saying in the beginning. It's a team where every single player in the first team is an established international superstar. Now, good luck to a 16-year-old being better than one of those guys, but I don't see it happening. I mean, maybe maybe he really is, you know, a, a Lionel Messi, but you would have to be to make it at a club like that. It seems like a crazy, crazy thing for him well, to have done of being at this point in his career. rich, Ken, Irish Aston Villa fans, just to remind you again to please tweet us at Second Captains because either there are a lot more of you than we thought or you all have bundles of cash to be spending on Villa jerseys, buying a quarter of all sold by Mike Ashley's beloved company, Sports Direct, as I'm sure they are. You can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. We'll have another show out today featuring US Murph on the dirty, rotten, cheating New England Patriots. And no particular interest of yours, Ken. Bill Belichick being one of your favourite villains in, He's a uh, cheater. in World Sport. He is a bit of a cheater, all right. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Carol. Thanks, uh, thanks, you pair of Frenchmen. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. <laughs>